The very first day on our launch, we had 4.5K in revenue. At Founder, we're on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education and on our way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interviewed some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're doing things a little differently. We're working with our own students in our community who are deep within the process of building our own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow, who've stood where you are and are on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of our stories are about to share in this show. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. And with that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Molly here. I'm the community manager for Founder Magazine and welcome back to the series From Zero to Founder. Today I'm sitting down with one of our Start and Sales students, Laurieann Trin, who managed to sell 4.5k worth of her products in just one day. She sells Japanese snack-inspired tracksuits for kids, which is such an incredible and unique product. So I'm really excited to speak with her more about it today. So let's just jump straight in. Hi Laurieann, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Let's start by introducing yourself. My name's um, Laurieann. I am a mother of two. I just gave birth three weeks ago. <laughs> so excuse me for being a bit sleep deprived. <laughs> um, a little bit about my business. It's called Eat My Baby Co. Uh, we sell children's track suits um, for children six months to about five years. Um, we're going to add a few more older sizes as well. Um, but what's special about our tracksuits is that it features um, Japanese-inspired snack designs or snack prints. Um, and the idea came about when I was shopping for my um, then two-year-old. Um, and we, we came across a lot of cute prints, um, mainly, you know, Vegemite, um, avocados, all those cute prints. Um, but I just didn't feel that it was relevant to our um, our family as a, a, a Australian Asian migrant, second generation migrant family. Um, so yeah, I, I feel we identify more with um, the Japanese inspired snacks. No, I definitely do agree with you, and I think the prints that you've you've done and you've launched so far are absolutely adorable. And also, congratulations on your second child. That's such an accomplishment and will probably only continue to inspire you to create even more products, which is very exciting. But going back a little bit, what were you doing prior to actually discovering this business idea? Were you in a different profession or were you always thinking that you wanted to be your own boss and get out of the, the nine to five sort of lifestyle? Yeah, I'm actually an audiologist. Um, I work part-time now um, after becoming a mum. Uh, so when I launched this business, I was working three days a week. I'm currently on mat leave um, and I'm due to come back to work in, in January. Um, I do love my job, but I've also always wanted to start something on the side, a bit of a side hustle, um, just to earn a little bit of extra cash. But also the um, the, the whole concept is quite special to me. No, I really like that. And I think it's something completely unique and, and having children yourself would probably, like you mentioned, it's, it's much more special, but walk me through the idea of conceptualizing your products, because you mentioned you were in the field, you're looking at other different designs, Vegemite, avocados, and things like that. 
What really drew you to the particular styles that you ended up deciding upon for your Japanese-inspired snack foods? Now that I think back, it started when um, we found this really cute, um, I think when my daughter was a newborn, I remember now, we found this really cute onesie that had sushi on it. And I got really excited. I just said, take my money. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> um, and then I, f- I forgot about it. And then when she was about two, we came across another um, tracksuit set that featured sushi. Um, it was actually something that was posted online. Um, and I grabbed it immediately. And then the next day I checked, it had sold out. So I knew that a lot of families out there were feeling the same as me. They were they were feeling this sort of nostalgia with, you know, sushi, Asian snacks and all of that. Um, the designs that I chose are snacks that I've eaten in my childhood and um, uh, instills this kind of feeling of, you know, 90s nostalgia, the way I grew up. Yeah. I think that's really special. And, you know, you're business in particular, the name is very unique and I love it because it's almost a little bit jarring. What really inspired you to go ahead with that name, Eat My Baby Co? I don't know if you're a mother, but when you're a mother, you have this um, temptation to just eat your baby. (laughs) Um, And that's that's where it came from. Every time I look at my daughter or or my newborn now, I just want to like nibble her little toes. I want to kiss her. I just want to essentially eat her. Um, And then that's just how the the name came to me. (laughs) It's absolutely adorable. And when I first read it, I was so intrigued. And I think a lot of people also that might be an aspect for them. They want to know more about what you're selling or, or what your brand is about. So it's a great marketing tactic as well, which, you know, I commend you for because it is something quite unusual. I would love to talk more about from having the idea to executing, how did you go forward from having a different profession altogether, learning what you needed to do in order to actually create your product? So the idea came to me really just overnight. Um, Initially, I was looking at another business concept um, and I wasn't really feeling it. it, wasn't quite special to me. And then I woke up in the morning and I just felt, hey, this might be an idea. And I spoke to my husband and we jumped on it pretty immediately. Um, Thankfully, he encouraged me and pushed me to go forward with it. So the first thing I did really was look at manufacturers. I hadn't really even started at looking at marketing or even heard of Start and Scale. Um, I I went to YouTube, if I have to be honest. (laughs) I wanted to manufacture my product initially in um, Vietnam because that's where I come from. Um, and I thought, you know, because I speak Vietnamese, that might give me an advantage finding a manufacturer in Vietnam. When I went on YouTube, I found this man in America. His name is, is um, Chris Walker. He's an American man. He's a white man. And he speaks really fluent Vietnamese. He's lived there for, I think, 10 or 20 years. Um, and he has a lot of knowledge about the manufacturing um, industry in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, so... I followed his YouTube videos. He's got these three eBooks as well about um, manufacturing fabrics. Um, and the third one is maybe accounting for your business. Yep. So I read those three books and I, I was hooked. Uh, I said, oh, I'm going to book a phone call to Chris Walker. And I really want to talk to him and see how we can get started. Um, he's a really lovely man. 
he was all for it, but then he questioned me on my marketing and I couldn't really answer any of his marketing um, questions. And he, he pretty much flat out said, look, you've got a really good concept, but I think you need to work on your marketing first and then come back to me. He didn't really um, want to go ahead with um, working with me until I had more marketing knowledge and a bit of a plan in place. Um, and so that's when I went online and I started looking at, um, you know, how to how to market, how to launch a business. And that's how I came across um, Start and Scale. I don't know how it came to me. Maybe I was targeted on um, Instagram or YouTube or whatnot. Um, but I did the free uh, masterclass with um, Greta and um, I forget his name. Uh, yes. <laughs> I did one free masterclass and pretty much I was hooked. It, it answered a lot of questions for me and I started the course from there. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, I, I already had a concept in mind when I did start and scale. So pretty much starting the course, um, I followed the steps from then. I think that's amazing. And there's so many different ways to learn. And I think it's great that you, you started in a different area because we've had different conversations with a lot of other entrepreneurs where they started with branding or they started with marketing. But I think it's really great because a lot of people, and I'm sure you can agree throughout the Start and Scale community group, do actually struggle with manufacturing. And it is a big aspect that, you know, can can sometimes roadblock people. I would love to hear any advice on how you got the ball moving with your manufacturer after you kind of thought about marketing, because it is something that I know a lot of people would be interested in hearing, especially in um, a country outside of Australia as well. First of all, we did try to look at manufacturing in Australia, but it was pretty much near impossible. Um, when you manufacture overseas, it's pretty much, these factories are pretty much all in one. So they'll source the fabric for you, do the design for you, do everything for you. In Australia, you have to do all of those steps separately. So you have to go to one company and look at the fabric and then go to the printing fab, uh, printing company and see if they can print on that fabric. And then you go to the sewing place. So it's, it's a bit of a mess, but also they don't really want to work with you. It's, it's I, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps it's a lack of facilities here in Australia, but um, I found it quite difficult. Yeah. Um, when I was looking at overseas, um, it was pretty much easy, but you do have to know your stuff before you um, interact with them. So you have to know exactly what design that you're after, um, what fabrics that you're wanting. You have to have um, a bit of an understanding of fabrics for them to be able to quote you what you want. When you're manufacturing in Vietnam, ideally they want something called a tech pack. I think that's actually, I don't think that's um, something that's exclusive to manufacturing clothes. I think that's broad across um, different products. But yes, you do need your tech pack. And in that tech pack, it specifies everything. The manufacturer that we're with, um, actually I had my tech pack ready and um ready to give to them but they barely used it so every manufacturing company is, is a bit different yeah great learnings and I think it's it's really inspiring because as you mentioned 
Australia can be a bit difficult and, you know, it might be a bit easier outsourcing, which is completely okay as well. But there are those language barriers and there are other things to consider, which I really think that it's great that you highlighted. And I would love to know how you actually educated yourself with the fabrics, because as you mentioned, you need to kind of know your stuff before you do present something that is apparel based, because apparel can be really, really tricky to get into. So how did you educate yourself on what fabrics you really wanted for your track suits and even like your printing and things like that? How did you know how that all ran? A lot of it came from the book that I mentioned before with Chris Walker. Um, he's got an ebook online um, on fabrics. Um, so it will talk you through the different threads, the different weight of the fabric, um, whether you can print on the fabric um, and stuff like that. Um, once I read that book, I had a pretty good understanding. I, I still don't thoroughly understand it. It's, it's a really big concept, <laughs> but I understood enough. Um, and then I started looking at my own wardrobe and then at, and at the tracksuits that I quite like. Um, and then looking from then, from there, I also went out to different fabric stores in Australia um, and I just bought, you know, little swatches of um, different fabrics and then had a feel of the fabric to understand um, the weight. So if something was, you know, 300 GSM, how is it different to something that's, you know, 100 GSM? Because um, the manufacturers will ask you that, spe that specific question. Um, what GSM fabric do you want? Meaning what weight fabric do you want? And you really have to answer them. If you don't answer them, um, it's a really long process. They might not even want to work with you, to be honest. Um, so you do need to know your fabrics. Definitely. And I think that's great insight as well, because I know nothing about fabrics. So if I was ever in this position, you know, it's great that there are resources out there to help you. From learning about your fabrics, finding a manufacturer, your next step would be kind of getting every little piece ready to go. And I would love to know more about how you actually went and approached marketing after Chris mentioned that you might not have the best ideas in motion. What was the first step to help you kind of really get that marketing in check? Um, the first thing he said was to um, start on Instagram. And that's the first thing I did. <laughs> I went and opened um, an Instagram business account. I had zero followers. Um, I put my name out there. You can go see, check out my Instagram. My very first post is a post of me. It's just introducing who I am and my business idea. Um, it took a lot of, um, a bit of a push for me to do that. <laughs> I'm a bit of an introvert. So to have your idea out there, it's quite scary. Um, one, I was also scared of, you know, another person stealing my idea. So I didn't really want to have it out there, but Chris and also Greta instilled it in me that there's always always going to be someone, you know, wanting to copy your idea or, you know, if, if they really wanted to copy your idea, they would. If they, if they didn't, then they don't. It's, it's, always, it's always going to be a scare factor there. Um, so just go ahead and, you know, and just get your idea out there. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it definitely does. And I feel like a lot of young entrepreneurs, even some listening to this, might have a really individual idea and be and be scared about that. And it's and it's the reality of having a first-time business or even a second and a third with something that's quite unique, like your product. And I think you mentioned Instagram, which is 
a great platform to get started on and to really help even create a presence before you launch, before you even have a tangible product. Was it always really important for you to have that face-to-face connection? You said your first post was a photo of you. Do you still have a, a close connection with your audience now that you're starting to grow your Instagram account more? I do. Um, One of the things I didn't expect was um, a lot of my followers DMing me (laughs) and I always, always reply to them, but that was something that I I didn't expect. Um, I thought, you know, email communication would be the way to go, but a lot of my followers prefer just to talk to me directly. And I prefer it that way as well. Um, I try to get in front of the camera as much as I can. (laughs) Um, But yes, I do try to be the face of the brand. I think adding that little touch of um, being personal to the brand is is quite important. Hey there, Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. If you're enjoying From Zero to Founder and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep And we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. How many Instagram followers, you said you started with zero, does your brand have at the moment? And how have you really been able to um, nurture that growth? Um, at the moment, we're at 1,400. Um, I'm quite proud of that, considering I started with zero. It is all organically um, added, all, all organic followers. <laughs> I haven't bought followers. I don't enter loops and I don't do follow for follows. I don't think it, um, it I think it works against you when you do those sorts of things um, because the, follow, they're, they're, the followers that will end up following you aren't your actual target market. So you want the organic followers, the ones that were actually interested in your product and will actually, um, you know, convert to a sale. Um, so it is a bit of a slow growth, but it's growth. <laughs> and how quickly did you get from zero to the 1.4K? What sort of timeline are we talking? So when I started, which was about a year ago, I only had a handful of friends and family. Um, I'd say about 30 friends and family. And then I just encouraged them, you know, hey, can you just give a shout out here and there on your stories about my brand? And they did. A lot of them really supported me. Um, I did a big giveaway. um, And that's when I grew to about 300 followers from then on. Yes, from 30 to 300, which was, I was jumping for joy back then to get 300 followers. And then on launch day, um, yes, we launched with 300 followers. And then within maybe two weeks of launching, it grew to about 1,000. And now we're about 1,400. (laughs) That's incredible growth, especially in such a short amount of time. And I think even seeing that change from the giveaway to launch and now it's continuing to grow, that must be so encouraging for you and and really exciting. You mentioned the giveaway that you had for your pre-launch phase. Talk me more through how you actually brought that to life. Who did you team up with? Was it just giving away your own products? What was your strategy there? I didn't team up with anyone. (laughs) I didn't think anyone would be interested in, you know, teaming up with me, someone with, you know, 30 lousy followers. (laughs) 
Um, I did a big giveaway because our product's so new. I thought, you know, it's got to be big um, to encourage them to follow us. So I gave away one set of um, each of our products. So we've got five um, tracksuits and I gave away five of those. Um, yeah. And it was a good way for people to just, you know, get a hold of the product and see see what it's like. Definitely. And I think it's a great way to kind of spread your word of mouth, especially for such a small brand and having people probably reshare it once their package arrives and, and all the other great things that really stem from a giveaway. And was your giveaway strategy simply to tag a friend and like your post or were there other elements involved? No, it was really, really simple. It was simply tag a friend and um, I don't, I think I even forgot to tell them to like our post. <laughs> I realized after I did the giveaway, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got, you know, all these comments, but I've only got maybe a hundred likes on my, um, on my post. And I realized, oh, I didn't make it a rule <laughs> for them to like our post. It was really simple. I didn't want any um, barriers to them um, following us. So it was really simple, tag a friend, and then the winner will be announced in about a week. Beautiful. And did you also grow your email list? Uh, yes, I did. Um, so when I launched, I had an email list of 120. Um, at the time, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so lousy. I wish I had a bit more, um, you know, email subscribers. But then I came out another um, entrepreneur on the Start and Scale Facebook group. And they were selling hats and they had similar numbers to us. They had 300 followers and about 100 email subscribers and they launched quite successfully. So that gave me a bit of confidence when it came to launch day. I thought, you know, it's it's not the number that, you know, in, that's in the, in the thousands, but perhaps it's enough. And it, it was. Um, I had 120 subscribers and, um, yeah. Beautiful. I would love to talk to you about your actual launch day. I believe you launched in July of this year and you've had a great launch since. Do you want to walk me through how you felt actually having that day come to fruition? Yes. So because we sell tracksuits, um, you know, it's quite seasonal. Um, it's mainly um, purchased in autumn and winter. And then Coming July, almost mid-July, we're in the middle of winter, basically, and my tracksuits still hadn't come, unfortunately, um, due to COVID and manufacturing delays. So I, I was quite anxious <laughs> um, coming to launch day. I didn't know if people would still purchase our tracksuits almost in the middle of winter. Um, so a lot of my head space was around that and that anxiety on, on whether people were still going to buy our, um, our tracksuits. Thankfully, um, they did. It was a bit of a hurry. As soon as the tracksuits came, I launched the next day and I, I went in front of the camera and showed everyone our products. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of views, um, a lot of people looking at that video. So on your, on your launch day in particular, you had quite the success. And I know for a lot of people listening, it might be a bit daunting and there might be a lot of pressure, but I feel as though going with it with an open mind really, really helps. Would you like to, to share how you and your brand performed on your launch day? Yeah. Okay. So the very first day on our launch, we, um, we had 4.5K in revenue. And then the next day it was when we launched to the public, I think it was one or 1.5. And then over the next few days, it was roughly 
we were roughly hitting 1K still. Um, currently, we're at 25K in revenue, um, and it's been a little over a month since we've launched. Um, it has slowed down a bit because we're, we're entering spring now, <laughs> um, but that's okay. Um, we still get sales um, here and there every day. So it's so inspiring. And were there any learnings from your launch that you kind of want to share with us or, or anyone listening that you kind of reflect back on and now you know what to do when you bring out new styles or want to, to launch a new product? Absolutely. Um, so I always anticipated delays um, starting this, this product, um, this, this tracksuit range, but still we encountered three months delay on top of that. So my word of um, advice would be, you know, anticipate delays and then anticipate more delays on top of that, um, especially with manufacturing overseas. Um, and especially during COVID, um, because we were affected with lockdowns, there were no flights in and out of Sydney. Um, so we had to wait for flights to connect, um, to collect our um, delivery or our shipment. Um, and that was about a two week wait almost. So our stock was sitting in Singapore, um, just waiting to be picked up by the next available plane um, Yeah, during COVID. And I think also being prepared in a COVID and a pandemic state, that you kind of, yeah, have to be prepared and not be deterred because you never know. There's so much success. You're a prime example through this period of time where you can push through and really still launch something. And one thing that really I loved about your brand is the fact that it's children's tracksuits because tracksuits in general during the pandemic, I know were trending and very, very um, popular at the time. Is that also something that pushed you to kind of validate your idea even more so than it did originally? Um, no, I didn't know that tracksuits was trending during COVID, <laughs> but thanks um, for that validation. <laughs> um, something personal to me is that when I do shop for tracksuits for my own daughter, I find it quite hard to find um, tracksuits. Um, I know there's a one very popular brand um, amongst children in Australia, and that's the only brand that I knew. Um, so that was something that, that kind of pushed me towards um, launching this business, I do, I do see a gap in the tracksuits um, industry for, for children. Definitely. And I, I think you're, you're completely right and something that's unique and, and it has lots of fun and personality to it like your brand does with the boba. I think that's so cute and I think that's so original and I personally would love to send that to my niece and my nephew because I know they'd wear it and I'd have fun wearing it too. And you have quite bright colours associated with those patterns as well. What made you decide on those particular colours to run with for your first launch of your tracksuits as well? Well, one of our brand ethos is, you know, be yourself, be unique. The kind of um, ethos that I'm trying to push forward is that, you know, even though you're in a minority group in Australia, you know, you want to um, embrace your heritage, embrace your cultural um, roots and to do that, you can't really do that with, you know, soft colours. I, I want it to be really out there, really outgoing, um, really outrageous. Um, that was just something that was personal to me and um, that I went ahead with. I love that. And I think it's really, really nice that, you know, you're embracing that ethos and you have such a great message to your brand as well. So you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that you had five different designs and colours. Where do you think Eat My Baby Co. will go in the next steps? Do you already have an idea for different colours or different designs that you're working on at the moment? 
Yes, so we didn't plan on coming out with um, summer sets, um, but um, a lot of people were asking, you know, um, what, what will you come out with next? And I kind of felt lousy saying, oh, you know, our next drop will be next winter. It will be, you know, 12 months away. Um, and so I, I went ahead and, and um, we're working on dropping summer sets now, and um, I'm hoping they come by November. Um, usually with these things, you do need to plan at least, you know, six to eight months ahead if you're bringing out a new drop. I'm trying to do it in two months. <laughs> so hopefully um, it comes in November. Um, and then we've got also new designs coming out for winter as well. So that will be April, um, autumn, April next year. Exciting. And they will be featuring new Japanese snacks or do you think you might venture somewhere else that's maybe inspired by your childhood? Yes. Um, so we will have still have some of the same designs. Um, we might discontinue one or two of the designs and then bring out a new design. Um, I don't really want more than five or six designs out at one time. For now, it's, the focus is just on um, Japanese and East Asian snacks. But if the business grows, I would love to do um, snacks from all around the world, um, you know, Spanish snacks, um, Arabic snacks, I don't know, whichever snacks. Um, but the whole idea is to, you know, embrace different cultures from around the world, yeah. Which I, I think is quite quite unique and, and really special because I know when uh, a big prominent company in Australia released a line for Vegemite, it went crazy because that's something that is culturally relevant to Australians and I'm sure just by you doing these Japanese snack can inspire and also make a lot of other people really, really happy and happy wearing it too, which I think is really, really great. And seeing your kids run around in that would just be adorable as well. But once you've launched and you've had all of this success, you're sending out all these packages, what was the feedback like that you were receiving from these customers? Were they from strangers that you've just seen posting on Instagram? How are you connecting and learning that feedback loop? Um, 70 to 80% of our um uh, sales come from Instagram. Um, so I would say, yes, most of them, uh, most of the feedback is from our Instagram followers. Um, a lot of, most of them are mums and most of them are so nice. They message me photos um, and tell me, you know, I love the tracksuits. Thank you so much for making these tracksuits. Um, I think that's the best compliment when someone you know, I should be thanking the customer for, for purchasing our tracksuits, but instead they're thanking me for making the tracksuits. So I think that's that's really special. Um, yeah, a lot of them just direct message me or um, tag me on Facebook um, with their children wearing the tracksuits. Incredible. And are you using some of these photos that they're sending you and repurposing them as user-generated content for your marketing or, or any other aspects um, of marketing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get um, a mix of user-generated content and um, content generated by us and then the professional photography. Um, yeah, a bit of a mix. Brilliant. And from here, are you thinking of expanding any marketing tactics to Facebook ads or, or other social media platforms going forward? Yes, I would love to um, do more um, Facebook ads. Um, my Facebook ads at the moment is a bit lousy, <laughs> um, but that's my, going to be my next focus. Um, I also would like to, you know, um, approach some print magazines and see if I um, could be a feature in there. Um, that's my, also my next focus as well. 
that sounds really exciting and and something that you know could just propel your brand even more from you know your already amazing growth but having those publications and having such unique product could definitely push you in the right direction for for your summer seasons and then also your next winter drop which is which is great and working towards wrapping up i would love to know more about what advice would you give someone listening to this conversation in terms of if they were sitting at home, similar to you were, had an idea, really wanting to execute it, what would that, that piece of advice be that you would, you would give to them? Absolutely. Just go for it. Um, if you've got an idea in your head, um, go out there, research um, how to do it, how to implement it. If you've got any fears, just, just push through those fears and just go for it. Um, I think the worst thing to do would be just to sit there and wonder, you know, what if I had, you know, um, gone forward with that idea? Um, I, I don't think um, going through life with that question in your head is is is, um, is something that's good. I think, you know, even if you fail in a business, which I hope you don't, but, you know, at least you, you've gone for it and, and you've got some learnings and hopefully you're successful as well. I completely agree with you and I think just going for it is a great mentality to have because it's paid off for yourself and and you know you're trying something new and now you're working part-time with your old profession and and really dabbling to something that you love and that you're passionate about which I think is what a lot of people listening will probably resonate to as well. And I want to thank you Laurie for taking the time and, and sitting down with me today and sharing your journey and hopefully we can check back in with each other in the next couple of months and see how you have further grown with your company and your brand as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want access to the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com slash course training or follow the link in the show notes.